Welcome back to Nerd is the New Cool, fellow nerds. We're here today on a very special occasion. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning. Well, good afternoon, technically. Yeah, it's How's close it enough. It's going pretty well, man. Um, it's, been a, it's been a nice, beautiful weekend. Did some, uh, did some lawn mowing um, like a real adult. Have you ever done that before? Uh, yeah, I've done, well, I mean, not, I, I did it growing up a lot, um, but I, but with the new house, I've done it twice now. Nice. And it's, it's, your... it's so, it grows so fast. I don't like it. <laughs> well, I mean, with all the rain, yeah, like I mowed last weekend and I mowed the front this week and I'll have to do the back soon, like this week or also to get too crazy for the dogs. It'll just be a pain in the ass to mow. Have you figured out your, your pattern yet? Like, yeah, your plan of attack on because your plan of attack on a lawn is going to vary for every house you ever own so. yeah and it's pretty tough too because i think similar to your backyard there are some pretty steep hills in certain spots mm-hmm. um mine is like a sharp drastic drop off like a 60 degree drop so i have to like hold the lawnmower and like like drop it down with one hand and then pull it back up i got you yep i had to do that the <laughs> method yeah it's really obnoxious but it's in the past, and now I won't have to do it again for at least a couple weeks. Probably, yeah. We'll see. So, special occasion today, actually, the day we're recording, marks the 10-year anniversary of the raid and the death of Osama bin Laden. Yeah, May 2nd. May 2nd, 2011, and so today's May 2nd, 2021, 10 years later. So let's kind of get into, we're going to talk a little bit about some background information, and then we're going to kind of analyze a few films that have tried to portray this on screen. Absolutely. So a little bit about Osama bin Laden. He was born in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, on March 10th, 1957, and his full name was Osama bin Mohammed bin Awad bin Laden. <laughs> and that means Osama, son of Mohammed, Son of Awad, son of Laden. He was, and I can't believe that this is actually true. He was the 17th of 52 children born to Mohammed bin Laden, a Yemeni immigrant who owned the largest construction company in the Saudi kingdom. I can't, that wasn't all with one woman. That couldn't be. I, I don't think so. Well, I don't okay. know. I, I mean, I, no, I, there's no okay. way it's possible. Okay. That's kind of why I had to think about that for a second when I read it. I mean, he himself had, like, it's speculated between 20 and I think 26 children with X amount of wives. Yeah, he had multiple wives. Yep. Right. His siblings were educated in the West and went to work for his father's company, which became this enormous conglomerate that basically distributed goods like Volkswagen, cars, and Snapple. I do love the Snapple. Um, all across the Middle East. He inherited, they think, a roughly $25 million from that. So when he married young at 17 and, like many Saudi men, joined the Islamist Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, and, and for bin Laden, like Islam was more than just a religion. It basically shaped his political beliefs and influenced um, pretty much all of his decisions. From 1968 to 1976, he attended the elite secular al Tagher model school. He studied economics and business at King Abdulaziz University. And some reports suggest that he earned a degree in civil engineering in 1979 or a degree in public administration in 1981. Bin Laden was also an attendant at the English language course in Oxford, England in 1971. 
Yeah, so pretty educated. And while he was at college in the late 1970s, he became a follower of the radical pan-Islamist scholar Abdullah Azam, who believed that all Muslims should rise up in jihad or holy war to create a single Islamic state. And this obviously appealed to the young bin Laden, who resented what he saw as a growing Western influence on Middle Eastern life. Yeah, so 1979... Soviet troops invade Afghanistan, and soon afterward, Osama travels to Peshawar, which is a Pakistan city on the border of Afghanistan, to join the resistance. And he was, he, you know, he obviously had a lot of financial connections, um, political connections also, and he used these connections to win financial and moral support for the Afghan rebels. The Mujahideen. Mujahideen. There you go. <laughs> Another side note. Good, good film about that with Tom Hanks because he's the greatest actor of our generation. Charlie Wilson's War, written, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. So, yeah. pretty underrated film. It's got a lot of good people in it, and I, I, I enjoy it. I rewatch yeah, it. That's a good one. Yeah. Anyways, their organization called the Maktab Al Kidamat or the MAK served as a global recruitment network. It had offices in places as far away as Brooklyn and Tucson, Arizona, and provided the migrant soldiers, known as Afghan Arabs, with training and supplies. Most importantly, it showed bin Laden and his associates that it was impossible to put pan-Islamism into practice. Yeah, so in, in 88, he forms a new group called Al-Qaeda, and which, which means the base, and that would focus on symbolic acts of terrorism instead of military campaigns. Following the Soviet Union's withdrawal from Afghanistan in February 1989, Osama bin Laden returned to Saudi Arabia as a hero of jihad. Along with his Arab legion, he was thought to have brought down the mighty superpower of the Soviet Union. Yeah, so his, you know, the Saudi royal family really feared bin Laden a lot and his pan, his fiery pan Islamist rhetoric thought it might cause a lot of trouble in their kingdom. And so they try to keep him as quiet as possible. They actually took away his passport and essentially said no to the offer to send Afghan Arabs to guard the border after Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990. And then, you know, adding insult to injury, when Iraq invaded Kuwait, they sought help from the infidel United States instead. So early next year, the next year, bin Laden leaves Saudi Arabia for the more militantly Islamist Sudan. After one more year of preparation, Al-Qaeda struck for the first time, and this is a bomb that was exploded in a hotel in Aden, Yemen, that had housed American troops on their way to a peacekeeping mission in Somalia. No Americans died, but two Australian or Austrian tourists did. Uh, they also trained and armed the Somali rebels who killed 18 American servicemen in Mogadishu in 1993 the subject of another movie right yeah there's we could have just basically told this story through film i think we, we almost could have they were linked also to a 1993 bombing of new york's of the new york trades new york's world trade center the first one 93 the attempted assassination of egyptian president um hasni mubarak apologize mubarak. for what is it mubarak mubarak in 1995 also, the bombing of a U.S. National Guard training center in Riyadh that same year, and the truck bomb that destroyed the 
Kobar Towers, which was an American military residence in Duran in 1996. Bin Laden moved from Sudan to Afghanistan in 1996, and meanwhile, the scale of al-Qaeda's attacks continued to increase. Yeah, so August 7th, 1998, bombs exploded simultaneously at the U.S. embassies in Nairobi, Kenya, where 213 people were killed and 4,500 were injured. And Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, where 11 people were killed and 85 were injured. And Al-Qaeda took credit for both of those bombings. Then on October 12, 2000, a small boat loaded with explosives plowed into the hull of the USS Cole. An American naval destroyer docked off the coast of Yemen. 17 sailors were killed and 38 were injured. Bin Laden also took credit for this incident as well. So a federal grand jury in the U.S. indicted bin Laden on charges related to the embassy bombings, but there was no defendant there that could be basically stand trial, so no trial. Meanwhile, al-Qaeda operatives were busy planning the biggest attack of all, the September 11, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. So that seems odd to me. That like, I mean, I guess it's like more like like making it official of like actually indicting him. But like, what's that really going to do? Like, yeah, you're making it, you're technically charging him in the United States. So that way, if he ever shows up there, then there's pending charges against him. But like, what did they really expect? I think I think there just there weren't a lot of like counterterrorism. Like, I guess, how, how do you put it? There just weren't a laws that were there weren't a lot of laws that were in place. There wasn't just a, there there just wasn't a lot of precedent for this yet on on like the world scale. So I I wonder if they did this in an effort to essentially make it legally uh, like the legal ability for if he were to step foot on U.S. soil to be able to arrest him or into an extradition country. That country would then like Germany or France or whatever. That country would then extradite him to the United States. Yeah, it wasn't quite like the Wild West like it was post 9-11 with all of the basically like, I mean, they passed laws that essentially said the U.S. could do that. They figured, we'll do whatever the hell we can to stop terrorism, right? Right. So um, a federal grand jury. Oh, you're, we already said it. So for almost 10 years, he remained in hiding, issuing fatwas and taunts over radio and television, recruiting enthusiastic young jihadists to his cause and plotting new attacks. In August 2010, they traced bin Laden to a compound in Abbottabad, Abbottabad, Pakistan. Yeah, about 35 miles from Islamabad. For months, CIA agents watched the house while drones photographed it from the sky. So he was killed on, like we said before, May 2nd, 2011. And we'll go into that in a little more detail later. In September 2019... President Donald Trump conferred that bin Laden's son, Hamza bin Laden, who had been viewed as a potential successor to the al-Qaeda leader, was killed in a U.S. counterterrorism operation. Quote, the loss of Hamza bin Laden not only deprives al-Qaeda with, or of important leadership skills and the symbolic connection to his father, but undermines important operational activities of the group. End quote. And that was from a Weiss, uh, the White House uh, a uh, spokesman statement. Yeah whoever it was at the time. Mm-hmm. So we kind of talked about Osama a little bit. Let's talk about the raid. So accounts of how bin Laden was located by U.S. intelligence differ. The White House and CIS director, CIA, CIA, director John Brennan 
stated that the process began with a fragment of information unearthed in 2002, resulting in years of investigation. This account states that by September 2010, these leads followed a courier to, Abbottabad, to the Abbottabad compound, where the U.S. began intensive multi-platform surveillance. Yeah, and according to journalist Seymour Hirsch and NBC News, the U.S. was tipped off about bin Laden's location by a Pakistani intelligence officer who offered details of where the Pakistani intelligence officer service held him in detention exchange for a bounty. The CIA used surveillance photos and intelligence reports to determine the identities of the inhabitants of the Abbottabad compound to which the courier was traveling. In September 2010, the CIA concluded that the compound was custom-built to hide someone of significance, very likely bin Laden. Yeah, so in this this compound, it was a three-story compound. It was like at the end of a dirt road built in 2004, no internet, no landline television service. They actually burned all of their refuse, unlike their neighbors who set it out for collection, the garbage. Uh, the CIA led efforts to surveil and gather intelligence on the compound. Other critical roles in the operations were played by the United other United States agencies, including the National Security Agency, uh, the NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and obviously the U.S. Defense Department. Yeah, and so U.S. officials told the Washington Post that the intelligence gathering effort was, quote, so in- extensive and costly that the CIA went to Congress in December of 2010 to secure authority to relocate tens of millions of dollars within assorted agency budgets to fund it. You know, basically take all this money and dump it in this dump it in this bucket so we can keep doing this. Right. The CIA rented a home in Abbottabad. <clears throat> from which a team staked out and observed the compound over a number of months. The CIA team used informants and other techniques, including a widely criticized fake polio vaccine program to gather intelligence on the compound. Yeah, there's a whole thing about the fake polio vaccine and, uh, you know, the ethics of that. But nonetheless, you know, got to do what you got to do. Trying to get some DNA. Yeah, yeah. Um, the official mission code, this was kind of cool, was Operation Neptune's Spear. Neptune's Spear is the trident, which appears on the U.S. Navy's special warfare insignia, with the three prongs of the trident representing the operational capacity of the SEALs, which is sea, air, and land. The CIA, the CIA briefed Vice Admiral William H. McRaven, the commander of the Joint Special Operations Command, or JSOC, about, about the compound in January of 2011. Yeah, in addition to a helicopter raid, planners considered attacking the compound with B-2 Spirit Stealth Bombers. They also considered a joint operation with Pakistani forces, but um, Barack Obama decided that the Pakistani government and military could not be trusted to maintain operational security for the operation against bin Laden. A senior advisor said, quote, there was a real lack of confidence that the Pakistanis could keep this secret for more than a nanosecond, end quote. McRaven handpicked a team drawing from the most experienced and senior operators from Red Scott, Red Squadron, one of the four that make up Dev Group. Let's see. Yeah, these are all like military terms and different. Um, we need we need Pascal back. We need we need somebody, <laughs> right? 
So Red Squadron was coming home from Afghanistan and could be redirected without attracting attention. The team had language skills and experience with cross-border operations into Pakistan. Almost all of the Red Squadron operators had 10 or more deployments to Afghanistan. So they, they had a lot of experience near the area. Without being told the exact nature of their mission, the team performed rehearsals of the raid in two locations in the U.S. Around April 10th at the Harvey Point Defense Testing Activity Facility in North Carolina, where a one-to-one version of Bin Laden's compound was built, and April 18th in Nevada. The location in Nevada was about 1,200, you know, 4,000 feet in elevation, uh, chosen to test the effects of altitude would have on the, ra- on the Raiders helicopter. Yeah, and so people planning this believe the SEALs could get to uh, Abbottabad and back without being challenged by the Pakistani military. The helicopters were modified Black Hawk helicopters um, that they were going to be used in the raid, and they'd been designed to be quiet and to have low radar visibility. Since the U.S. had helped equip and train the Pakistanis, their defensive capabilities were known. The U.S. had supplied the F-16 Fighting Falcons to Pakistan on the condition that they were kept at a Pakistani military base under 24-hour U.S. surveillance. So April 29th at 8.20 a.m. Eastern Time, Obama conferred with his advisors and gave the final go-ahead. And the raid was supposed to take place the following day. But that evening, because of the cloudy weather, they pushed it back another day. On May 1st at 1.22 p.m., uh, Panetta, Leon Panetta, the CIA director at the time, acting on the president's orders, directed McRaven to move forward with the operation. Shortly after 3 p.m., the president joined national security officials in the Situation Room to monitor the raid. Yeah, there's that real famous picture of them all kind of huddled around inside the Situation Room uh, watching what's happening on screen. The raid was carried out by approximately two dozen Helleborn U.S. Navy SEALs from DevGru's Red Squadron. According to the New York Times, a total of 79 commandos and a dog were involved in the raid. The military working dog is a Belgian Malinois named Cairo. Awesome. Those dogs are awesome. According to one report, the dog was tasked with tracking anyone who tried to escape and alert the SEALs to anyone approaching uh, Pakistani, to any approaching Pakistani security forces. I never knew there was a dog involved in this until I was doing some research, and I think that's pretty awesome. Shows up this... in both films, too. <clears throat> oh, does he? There's two dogs. Yeah, there's dogs in both oh, of them. God, I am just, I just miss things sometimes. <laughs> the SEALs flew into Pakistan from a staging base in the city of Jalalabad in eastern Afghanistan after originating at Bagram Air Base in northeastern Afghanistan. Uh, side note, DEVGRU stands for the U.S. Naval Special Warfare Development Group and is yeah. the tip of the spear when it comes to naval special warfare. SEAL Team 6 was originally formed in 1980 by its founding officer, Commander Richard Marcinko, after SEAL Team 6 was demanded, disbanded in 1987, its official name was changed to Dev Group. Cool. The things there you, go. you learn. Things you learn. The 160th SOAR helicopters were supported by an array of other aircraft, um, basically things like fixed-wing fighter jets and also drones. 
The raid was scheduled for a time with little moonlight so the helicopters could enter Pakistan low to the ground and undetected. According to the mission plan, the first helicopter would hover above the compound's yard while its full team of SEALs fast rope to the ground. So just, you know, basically jumped off. Just like you see in the movies. Just like you see in the movies, right? <laughs> At the same time, the second uh, helicopter would fly to the nearest or the northeast corner of the compound and deploy the interpreter, the dog and handler, and four SEALs to secure the perimeter. The team in the courtyard was to enter the house from the ground floor. As they entered above the target, the first helicopter experienced a hazardous airflow condition known as a vortex ring state. This was aggravated by higher than expected air temperatures and the high compound, the high compound walls, which stopped the rotor downwash from diffusing. So the helicopter's tail grazed one of the compound's walls, as is depicted kind of in, in both, both movies, damaging its tail rotor, and the helicopter rolled onto its side, actually. The pilot quickly buried the helicopter's nose to keep it from tipping over. None of the SEALs, crew, or pilots of the hel- on the helicopter were seriously injured in the soft crash landing, which ended with it pitched at a 45-degree angle resting, resting against the wall. The other helicopter landed outside the compound, and the SEALs scaled the walls to get inside. The SEALs advanced into the house, breaching walls and doors with explosives. So there are a lot of conflicting reports about this stuff, too, because, you know, most of it's classified. But as far as there being initial initial firefighting, um, Mark Owen's book states the team was in a short firefight before reaching bin Laden. But an intelligent officer actually told Seymour Harsh in 2015 that no firefight actually took place. So who knows? Interesting. On May 2nd. 2011, it was May 1st in the United States. Um, the team burst into the compound. They found the Al-Qaeda leader in an upstairs bedroom with a pistol and assault rifle nearby and shot him in the head and chest, killing him instantly. So, again, here's, here's a little bit of conflicting stuff. Um, Robert O'Neill, who later publicly identified himself as one of the SEALs who shot bin Laden, stated that he, was, that he pushed past the lead SEAL, entered through the door, and confronted bin Laden inside the bedroom. He then states that bin Laden was standing behind a woman with his hands on her shoulders, pushing her forward. O'Neill immediately shot bin Laden twice in the forehead, then once more as bin Laden crumped to the floor. And I, th- I think if this is true, I would imagine the reason why he shot him was because he probably thought that there was some type of, you know, vest or something that, that maybe the woman had on or, or whatever. Right. Matt Bissonette <clears throat> gives a conflicting account of the situation, writing that bin Laden had been mortally wounded by the lead seal shot from the staircase. The lead seal then pushed Bin Laden's wives aside, attempting to shield the seals behind him in case either of the women had an explosive device. After Bin Laden staggered back or fell into the bedroom, Bissonette and O'Neill entered the room, saw the wounded Bin Laden on the ground, and fired multiple rounds, killing him. So this, go- this speaks to the planning. The raid was intended to take 40 minutes. The time between the team's entry in and exit from the compound was 38 minutes. And according to the Associated Press, the assault was completed in the first 15 minutes. So the rest of it was like reconnaissance work and getting all their stuff out of there. So they crashed a helicopter and still had two minutes to spare. Yes, that's that's efficiency. (laughs) That is efficiency. U.S. forces used multiple methods to positively identify the body of Osama bin Laden. Uh, The one was the measurement of the body. 
Both the corpse and Bin Laden were 1.9 meters or six feet, four inches tall. Seals on the scene did not have a tape measure to measure the corpse. So a seal of known height lay next to the body and the height was approximated by the comparison. There's also a facial recognition software. So a photograph transmitted by the SEALs to CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia for facial recognition analysis yielded a 90 to 95% likely match. In-person identification, one or two women from the compound, including one of Bin Laden's wives, identified Bin Laden's body. A wife of Bin Laden called him by name during the raid, inadvertently assisting in his identification by the U.S. military forces. They also did DNA testing, and the AP and the New York Times reported that Bin Laden's body could be identified by DNA using tissue and blood samples taken from his sister, who had died of brain cancer. Yes. So DNA samples were also collected from his body and compared to the comprehensive DNA profile derived from Bin Laden's large extended family. So not only that, his, but his, not only his sister, but his extended family. Based on that analysis, the DNA was unquestionably him. The probability of a mistaken identity on the basis of analysis is approximately 1 and 11.8 quadrillion. It's a pretty good <laughs> margin for error. That's pretty good. Obama, in a televised address to the nation that night, said, quote, justice has been done, end quote. So that's a pretty good little, you know, what what happened, a little bit about Osama bin Laden and, and al-Qaeda, obviously. Um, there's a lot of stuff there. And believe it, I mean, there was so much more information. This could have been, uh, you know, pages and pages and hours and hours of conversation about this whole thing. Right. Just like anything, like we could have done a series just on this, let alone one episode. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's really a lot of interesting stuff, too, about kind of the Soviet Union influence and the U.S. That, I mean, that, that really does create and, and set up a lot of the conflict that happened later on. Now, now, now there's, there, I think there's a lot of specu- there's a lot of people that say things like um, the U.S. were the ones who gave al-Qaeda all the weapons, and that's actually not, from what I could find, not accurate, but it did create a lot of animosity. Well, I mean, so, and, and the reason for that is because we, we talked about Obama joining, you know, joining the Mujahideen, you know, the Afghan freedom fighters fighting these Soviet invaders who armed the Muj. We did. So right. that's probably where they get that from. Is we gave the Mujahideen all of their weapons, not all of them, but most of them, like, and, you know, Charlie Wilson's war, however, how, oh, accurate that is the the, it those events happened like we funded and trained and provided weapons to the mujahideen because that was the only way that we could fight soviets without getting into an active war instead of a cold war right that's so like obviously they 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 didn't throw them all away so they just Mm -hmm. took them and then took them home and then yeah they started using them against the united states so that's kind of where that more or less where that came from so we're going to jump into the next part of the, of the episode, categories, breaking down two films that attempted to portray, or, or I don't know if they even tra- attempted to be accurate, but, uh, but were portrayals of, um, well. Two, yeah, there are yeah, two different films that were on these events in some way, shape, or form. So we've got SEAL Team 6, colon, The Raid on Osama Bin Laden, versus Zero Dark Thirty. So SEAL Team 6 
has a Rotten Tomatoes score of the, the critic was 50% and the audience was 45% and IMDb was 5.7. Uh, Zero Dark 30, Rotten Tomatoes, critic 91%, audience 80%, and IMDb 7.4. So Zero Dark 30 got a lot of great critical acclaim. I mean, I think it was nominated for like multiple Oscars, right? I, be- I believe it was. All right, so we got to give this one to Zero Dark Thirty. I, I will say though, having watched just watched them both recently, I didn't think Seal Team Six was that bad. Like it got it got nailed big time by the audience and critics. I I was entertained by it. It did, it did, and I mean, and for for those of you that have seen both, like they're two drastically different films, right? <laughs> I mean, they're they're night they're night and day. Like one focuses really solely on the raid which is SEAL Team 6, where Zero Dark Thirty goes into great background on the intelligence gathering effort over those 10 years to get them to that point. And yeah, they, they there's obviously the raid in it, but that's not the central focus of the movie. That's just the end result. Central yeah. focus was, well, Jessica Chastain's character, really, in like her struggles. But. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of, it's a lot of pol- political stuff also. Um, and I think that I think the audience liked it because, <clears throat> you know, they had even like a scene about someone being waterboarded and, and, and I think that like, oh, this is what really happens. I, I would imagine that critics like got super excited about that for whatever reason. The SEAL Team 6, I think was besides just focusing on the raid itself, it also focused a lot more on the actual soldiers that were exactly. right. And so I, I guess maybe the audience weren't as interested in that. But Thank upon you. upon watching it again, I I'm just saying that I don't think it should be that low. I'm not I'm not disagreeing that Zero Dark Thirty should be that high, but Seal Team Six, I mean, it's not that bad. Not that bad. No. Not bad. Speaking but, of Seal Team Six, but Zero Dark Thirty gets it. Go ahead. So from a box office perspective, Seal Team Six, we couldn't find any budget information on it. Couldn't find anything. Yeah. Uh, it was actually not. Seal Team Six was meant to be like a theatrical release, but they couldn't find anybody to do it. So it went straight to Blu-ray and DVD. It actually debuted on National Geographic Channel and was released on Netflix 24 hours later. The cumulative gross worldwide, because it was in theaters in other countries, just not in the United States, was only $1.2 million. And the estimated domestic video sales was actually $7.8 million. So depending on what the budget was, it may have made money. Yeah, certainly didn't have the budget of Zero Dark Thirty. Well, right. So Zero Dark Thirty had a budget of $40 million. The opening weekend in the U.S. was $417,000, but it had a gross in the U.S. of $95 million and a worldwide gross of $132 million, almost $133 million. So, yeah, that one made a lot of money. Zero Dark Thirty wins wins that one. But it had the platform to do it because it was released <clears throat> yeah. in theaters. Um, yep. So let's talk about the writers. SEAL Team 6 was the writer is Kendall Lampkin. There is zero other credits for this person on IMDb. Literally, this is their only credit. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find any. Right. And meanwhile, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, Mark Bowl, Boal, B-O-A-L. Bowl. He also wrote The Hurt Locker, Detroit, and Triple Frontier. Just The Hurt Locker alone it's gets him... Good. Pretty sure he might have won an Oscar for it. Yeah, so that, that, that again. Z- picture. That yeah, it did. It's great. Zero Dark Thirty. Check. Another check. Uh, director. 
So SEAL Team 6, John Stockwell, who also directed Blue Crush, Into the Blue, two surfer movies, and Teristas. And you may know him as playing Cougar in Top Gun. Yeah. And oh, and then also directed by Paulette Victor Lifton, who directed Monkey Business, Bad to the Bone, and The Gunman, three movies I had never heard of. Well, maybe Monkey Business, but not the other ones. And then really she she's more of a sound department but she has over 200 sound department credits on imdb so that was more her niche she wasn't always a director zero dark 30 was directed by Catherine bigelow who also directed the hurt locker detroit k19 the widowmaker strange days and point break the one that came out the original one the og the og so listen just just if only the only thing on there was point break i was i'd give it to Catherine bigelow <laughs> no matter what <laughs> uh some of those other films like by john stockwell and paulette victor lifton like yeah they're if this was an award for sound departments or like most obscure random movies in the 90s yeah maybe we give it to seal team six but zero dark 30's got to win this one right yeah i mean let's let's the hurt locker again i'm pretty sure she won an academy award for best director for the hurt locker yeah okay actually i'm almost positive of that yeah so yeah zero, zero dark 30 is yeah. just rattling rattling all these off these award i mean four in a row now just bam 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 uh, winning the categories uh, don't think it's gonna stop either <laughs> seal team six um we'll talk about best game best main character seal team six cam gidget did Jeanette? Sure. Gigandet. Well, <laughs> Gigandet, whatever. Uh, he plays Stunner. And so you will remember him as James from Twilight and Micah from Easy A. That's what I remembered him as. I didn't remember him from Twilight. I knew he was a he was the he was the, the he's guy the, in Easy A. He's the bad uh the bad antagonist um vampire at the end of the first one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Anson Mount is Cherry, who is from Hell on Wheels and the Inhumans TV show. Freddie Rodriguez is Trench, Six Feet Under, and of course, this is what I recognize him from, Can't Hardly Wait. I put that on there for you. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> Exhibit as Mule uh, from 8 Mile, and of course, the popular MTV show, Pimp My Ride. And Kathleen Robertson is Vivian who played uh, various roles. She was in, like, Scary Movie 2, but the 99 episodes of 90210, the original 90210 as Claire, she must have been, like, someone's little sister or something. It was, like, the last three seasons of the show when I, I, we weren't watching anymore at that point. Okay. Zero Dark Thirty, really two main characters. Jessica Chastain, as we mentioned, plays Maya. You know her from Molly's Game, Interstellar, The Martian, a whole bunch of stuff. And also Jason Clark, who plays Dan, he is from Everest, but Terminator Genesis is kind of where he really burst onto the scene, I think. I think so. This is actually harder for me than it might be for you. And let me tell you why. Number one, I got to give a shout out to my aunt, Karen, who will be very mad at me if I don't mention Anson Mount and her. Uh, she Let's just call it. She has an obsession with him. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a good looking, good looking man. And I think he's really he's great. If you've ever seen the show Hell's, Hell on Wheels. It's. I've heard good things, but I've heard it's. I've heard it's. Yeah. I've never seen it. It's fucking. It's great. It's. I love it. It's an amazing show, and he's great in it. Um, Fred Rodriguez. Also, listen. Six Feet Under is one of those shows that just kind of gets lost. I think in in history of all the great HBO shows. I, if you haven't seen Six Feet Under, man, go go watch that like immediately. 
Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I mean, well, it got lost with everything else. Yeah, well, it's and it's got um, what's his name, Dexter, on it. Like that. This was it was like this is the this is the show he was in, uh, Michael C. Hall before yeah, C. Hall. before Dexter. It was right before it. So, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn here. I, I actually would maybe give it to SEAL Team 6. But what do you think? I don't know, man. I mean, I would, I would, I, I uh, see, I lean the other way just because of more, just because of Jessica Chastain, just because of the movie, just because the career that she's had so far has been pretty good. And yeah, probably just going to keep going. And she's and she's been, like you, you mentioned, like Cam, he's James from Twilight, not the main character. Micah from EZA, not the main character. But you look at like Jessica and, you know, maybe Anson Mount. He sounds like he's one of the main characters on Hell on Wheels. I don't mm-hmm. know. But like Jessica Chanstein, Molly's Game, main character. Interstellar. Mm-hmm supporting character but still in there the martian yeah it was more matt damon but she was the commander of the ship so she was in it a lot too yeah and i'm okay i'm we're gonna give it not here's why i'm gonna give it to zero dark 30 because i I, no no i'm looking i'm looking actually through some of these awards and jessica chastain was nominated for best actress in the academy awards won the golden globe for best actress for this right for this yeah. yeah all right so Sounds good. Zero, zero Dark Thirty gets this one again. Now we've got Best Secondary Characters. So for SEAL Team Six, six we've got Robert Nepper uh, as the Lieutenant Commander. He was in Prison Break and Homeland. Eddie K. Thomas as Christian. You'll remember him as Finch in American Pie. Kenneth Miller as Sauce. He's not really in a lot of stuff, and he wasn't really in this very much either. And then William Fitchner as Mr. Guidry. Um, he was in Dark Knight, Armageddon, Prison Break, Entourage, the television show. Mm-hmm. All right, Zero Dark Thirty. Retta Kateb, I apologize for butchering that, plays Amar, really in just a whole bunch of French films. Kyle Chandler plays Joseph Bradley, who you may know from Friday Night Lights. I know him mostly from Bloodline. Great Netflix show. Jennifer... Ellie as Jessica, who is from Mission Impossible 5 and also King's Speech. Harold Perrineau, I, I, I was sure his name, but he plays Jack. Romeo and Juliet, Matrix 2 and 3, but I, you know, I know him from Lost for sure. Jeremy Strong plays Thomas from Trial of the Big Chicago 7, The Big Short. I mean, Jeremy Strong has been in a bunch of stuff. He's in the new HBO show. Well, it's not new anymore, but Succession. He's in that as well. Yeah. Mark Strong plays George from Kingsman, Shazam, Rock and Rolla, Green Lantern. I and, mentioned Green Lantern. Yeah, he's in, a bunch, <laughs> he's in a bunch of shit. And then Chris Pratt as as Justin. And we know Chris Pratt's in a bunch of crap. We know, we know him. Um, okay, listen. Do you want to give your opinion first on this? I mean... I think it's it, it, just looking at it, it looks relatively self-explanatory to me. Okay, I, we're going to go with Zero Dark Thirty, but I do want to give a real quick nod, tip of the cap to William Fickner, who is he's just a great actor, I think. I think he's great, too. And him, those, him paired with 
Robert Knepper, Knepper from Prison Break. He plays Teabag. Fucking great. Like, they're back and forth because he's Fickner is like the, the FBI guy, and Knepper is the um, – he's, he's the really – commander. He's, no, but I'm saying in, in Prison oh, Break, he's a real low-life low douchebag. <laughs> and their back and forth is great. I love both of them, but just throwing in Chris Pratt and Mark Strong, honestly. Well, really, Kyle. I mean, all, I mean, I, there's a whole bunch of amazing names out there for secondary characters. So, Zero Dark Thirty wins again. <laughs> so, best deep cut characters. Uh, Seal Team Six didn't really have any. It was more the archive footage that you that they kind of snipped in throughout it, where you saw like Obama, Biden, you saw Trump in the crowd at the correspondence dinner, Hillary Clinton, Dennis Miller, Seth Meyers was hosting it, Rudy Giuliani, John McCain, Mitt Romney, etc. So they weren't really. I mean, they were in it, but they weren't really in it because it was yeah. just archive footage. Zero Dark Thirty has. A, a lot more i, I kind of had I, I struggled here deciding if they're secondary or like deep th- deep cut characters because kind of i was thinking the same thing too because originally we had mark strong as a deep cut and i actually moved him to secondary because i'm like at the beginning he's not really in it but at the end he's he's there a lot well and the same thing with chris pratt like he's not in it at all to the last like 30 minutes and then he's the one talking during the entire raid the entire time so right. it was kind of hard to not keep him at least as a secondary character so Zero Dark Thirty has Mark Duplass as Steve, who you might know him from The League and a few other. He's in the mini project, a few other things. James Gandolfini as the CIA director, Leon Panetta. I think we know who James Gandolfini is. If you don't know, he's from Sopranos. That's Rest one thing. R.I.P. Joel Edgerton as Patrick. He was a squadron team leader. You probably know him from Greek, Craig Gatsby. He also plays Owen Lars. Uncle Uncle Owen. Yep. Uncle Owen. Not only in, what is that, uh, episode three, but he's also going to be in the new Obi-Wan TV show. I don't know if you knew that or not. Because that's about like his, centered around his time in exile, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also put on here uh, Stephen Delane as the national security advisor. Good call. Yeah. And and he's Stannis from Game of Thrones, amongst other things. That's just the most, maybe the most recent thing people would know him from. Totally. Well, Zero Dark Thirty's got to win it again. Uh, They do. But but I do think that SEAL Team Six does a really cool job of of you know it actually felt more like a documentary. Like if I didn't know some of those actors, it w- I would have thought it was more of a documentary or docudrama as opposed to like an actual film. You know? Yeah. Like and I did I did I did enjoy that format of like them kind of telling the story a little bit and then it would flash to an interview. Right. You know, and just kind of they'd just be talking back and forth and like walking through their mind and their thought process on what was going on and how they were doing it. I en- I did I liked that concept. Mm-hmm. I agree. Having said that, though, Zero Dark Thirty wins wins the deep cut characters hands down. All right. Up next, favorite scenes. Favorite scenes. So, uh, Seal Team Six. Well, hold on. We need to put a disclaimer here because usually we say favorite scenes. I th- I think we maybe should not say favorite as in we really enjoy watching these scenes because some of them are not fun to watch, but they are very well done or they're entertaining or they're thought provoking or whatever. Memorable scenes. Memorable. Well, on, that, on that same note, typically we do like favorite quotes. We are not doing that in this in this yeah. episode because there's nothing really to be favorite about. 
These are not quote requotable films. <laughs> no, they're not at all. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, there's some funny, like especially in Zero Dark Thirty. There's some humorous lines, like especially when you get like the SEAL team involved because they're just a, they're a bunch of guys, you know, trying to stay loose like while mm-hmm. they're training and all this stuff. But you know, not like anything that you would consider a favorite quote that you're going to use on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, there were some good there were some good one-liners, but like you said, we're not we're not going to be requoting them anytime soon. We're not going to be requoting this at all in everyday vernacular. So, all right, all right. sorry. On to maybe most memorable scenes. So, scenes. <laughs> um just the opening credits for SEAL Team 6, just with cuz again, the difference between these movies is is this is focusing on the raid whereas Zero Dark 30 is you know, focusing on the intelligence. So like the opening credits set the stage with a lot of the archive footage and it kind of tells the story of what happened, like when they found the courier and then they found out his his name and then they found out his family name and it's all done in this montage while yeah. during the opening credits. So I think it was, did a good job of trying to get everybody up to speed because it was probably some things that people knew, but then probably a lot of things that people didn't, didn't know. Yeah, and it was a good 10 or 15 minutes of it, which, it which I thought it was great. It, it honestly... If you think about like Zero Dark Thirty, that's a long ass movie. It's it's almost two and a half hours. It's two and a half hours long, and and Seal Team Six is ninety minutes. Right. So on the nose, they cut a lot of that stuff out just by doing like a real quick montage, essentially. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, the ambush scene just it was it was an action scene. You know, mm-hmm. it sucks that you know the the their their team member D Punch died and i'm sure that was actually that's actually that actually happened um but it was just just interesting to see just the the tactics and it kind of brings into question of like i wonder like how close this is it'd be interesting to get like an actual like someone that's done something like that not say in a seal team member but someone who's been been in the military and been in a firefight not like we couldn't ask pascal because he's been a pilot most of the time but someone who's been like boots on the ground would critique like how close is this and is it really like are they really talking like this are they really moving like this but just an just a, a good action sequence yep. um the briefing like speaking of william fickner uh where he's just kind of going through all the intelligence that they gathered and like the back and forth and the questioning and like talking about the house and its inhabitants and how many there are and how they got this piece of information how they got that piece of information i think they talked about the i don't know if they talked about the polio one at that time but it was just Again, a good recap and a good summary of everything that was going on. Um, the Skype calls with family. I enjoyed that because it helped you. I think it helps the audience understand that, they, yeah, these people, like you're talking about the most elite soldiers or one of some of the most elite soldiers in the entire U.S. military, but you also forget the fact that they're also just, they're humans. They're people just like us and they have wives and kids and parents and friends and they miss them just like we would miss them if we were on you know a business trip or something like that so i just liked how it it humanized them well it also showed the differences between like who they're calling home to see so one's calling home to see, talk to his dad one's talking to his mom one's talking to his siblings one's talking to his his wife. fiance or wife and she's like doing a strip tease so it was Except you know, he's talking to his son and yeah, yeah 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 so i like that um, and then the, when they told the team that they were actually, they told them the missions to go. And yes, in fact, you know, the rumors are true that we're going after Osama and just like the whole, like kind of speech montage where they had the commander in the, like 
he was the voiceover and it was the team getting ready and just kind of that building up of the anticipation of them actually performing the raid. And then obviously the, you know, the, the storming of the compound itself and just how that was depicted. And honestly, we'll get into this probably a little bit later, but how that was different significantly from zero dark 30. Definitely. Yeah. Curious as we'll never know exactly what happened, but. Maybe they'll declassify everything at some point. You never know. They, prob- they probably will. It'll be 20 years from now or something like that. It'll be when we no longer do things the way that they were done there so they can declassify it. <laughs> yeah, those aren't the tactics anymore. So now right, we so can you can you how we did it. Exactly. Yep. Zero Dark 30. All right, so best scenes for that. First of all, um, the waterboarding scene just at the beginning, just kind of get, like that was pretty brutal to watch. I don't, I don't know if you felt that same way. but. It, uh, yeah, like, it was. It's kind of it's, like okay, we're gonna start this movie. Bam. Yeah, right into it, and then they're like, kind of being nice to him later on, chummy and friend. It was just, I don't know. It was a lot of psychological stuff there. The suicide bombing at the CIA base, which really just kind of, really, you could argue like, kind of ignites Jessica Chastain's like resolve, and and it's essentially at that point, it's number one that the whole scene you, you can just kind of see it coming, and it's like fuck that's gonna be crazy and then she just kind of goes off the rails in a good way gets super aggressive and is like very determined to basically win this thing now mm-hmm. i like the gandolfini debrief scene he's he's the you know he's the big honcho they're going kind of through the um you know the layout and the plans and talking about the compound like when and they first found it yep. when they first found it and she says something and who who are you and her quote is I'm the motherfucker that found this house, sir. <laughs> that just got me. I don't know. Um, the build up to the raid, the whole just breakdown of the plan, the introduction of the seals. Um, that's kind of kind of a neat little um, transition to what's about to be the, the the final raid. And then just the raid itself, again, so different than the SEAL Team Six. It's it's basically the first half of it is all just in the dark. It's it's all in the dark. It's all via night vision goggles. And then, like, the lights flip on, and they're just ransacking the place, getting all the hard drives, and then they're out. They're and gone. And they're gone like a ghost. Right. Um, another, another scene that I enjoyed, very – I think there were there – were, they weren't really comparable scenes, but a couple of them where um, you kind of have the back and forth between Mark Strong and um, Stannis, whatever, whatever the actor's name is. Uh, Stephen – Delane, where he's going through it's like well you know we're not sure you know prove it's prove it's not someone else and then you just kind of keep seeing that back and forth and then he says you know what's the risk that you assess for not doing anything right and then another one with mark strong in it where he shows up i guess i think they're in pakistan and just screams at everybody that they're failing and and you wonder like do your fucking job (laughs) do your fucking jobs and bring me people to kill and it's like yeah like did he actually like you actually know. say that it's like bring me people to kill right it's like is that is that i mean i get i get it that the, yeah that is kind of their jobs but like it seems i don't know it seems excessive we don't work for the cia so whatever. yeah you're right <laughs> uh all right so for seal team six i'm honestly my favorite like having rewatched it i watched it again the opening credits i really enjoy the opening credits a lot i do too i do too <laughs> i think it does a great job of just kind of especially having I saw both of these before, before rewatching Seal Team Six. So just 
being able and you know zero dark 30 goes into great a lot more detail on that so you can actually just follow it really well if you're familiar with and they do a really good job of just kind of just recapping everything up to that point in 2010 where they're getting ready for the raid yeah if you've never seen these watch seal team six first and then watch zero dark 30 because i feel like zero dark 30 is just such a such more detailed version of the the basics which is what you get into with that, that that's what i would do personally having yeah. watched them in a row in the same night i'm glad i watched it that order <laughs> zero dark 30 favorite scene I, I i gotta go with just the final raid it's pretty intense and i think they did a really good job of of conveying just the the heck like how hectic it is and, and there's so much chaos chaos but then also just tight coordination and planning yeah well it's, yeah it's organized chaos for sure but it is that's why i think hectic is maybe a better word yeah um yeah, I agree. Probably a close second might be the scene like directly before that where they're just chilling out. Yeah. You know, they're playing horseshoes, they're throwing the football, they're playing ping pong, they're joking around, they're laughing, and then she gets the call. Says, you know, the thing we talked about, it's happening tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All pretty good scenes across the board. All right. So let's talk about some obscure facts, some little fun nerd facts we found. So, SEAL Team 6. The scenes depicting Peshawar, Pakistan were actually shot in Kapoli in Maharashtra, India? Maharashtra. Maharashtra? I butchered that. This is (laughs) clearly evident from the license plate numbers of the vehicles that can be seen on the road. The numbers start with MH, which is the code for the state Maharashtra. I I I just messed that up again. (laughs) It's okay, I butcher every other name. The actors playing the roles of CIA assets in the scenes are famous Marathi TV actors. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the guys that were in the apartment, like doing all the all the surveillance. Yep. Some of the training scenes were filmed at the penitentiary of New Mexico, also known as Old Main. Uh, this is the same place that the young the the longest yard was filmed. The the second one with Adam Sandler, not the original. <laughs> pretty great the film was originally made with the intent of being a wide we already mentioned this theatrical release um but they just couldn't find a distributor and so tv movie and it really i think that really did kill it i mean it really hurts and and i think that's also like you know critics are humans and also people who you know individual reviewers are usually morons and so they just oh it's a tv direct to tv movie automatically it's not going to get the yeah, it's just not going to get the acclaim, the respect, whatever. I don't know why I'm, like, defending this film. I've only seen it once, and I really don't have, like, a horse in the fight. But I just think it gets, it's gotten shit on. And what, for everything that was written about it online, when I watched it, I'm like, why is it? This is not that bad. Like, I, I think it's pretty good, actually. I think when you, but I think when you compare it to the two, that's yeah, when it. I would agree, but I, but I also tell you this. I would, I'm going to watch Six Seal Team 6 again before I watch Zero Dark Thirty. Because Zero Dark Thirty is a heavy movie. Like yes. that, that you have to be in the right mindset to watch that thing. It takes but, an emotional toll, and I don't feel the same way with Seal Team Six. It's just, it's more of a, <laughs> I almost said fun film. It's not a fun film, but it is. It's more like action. You don't have to be super paying attention. You can just kind of like sit back and relax and kick your feet up and not go into the deep psychological anguish, which is Zero Dark Thirty. Right. So, <clears throat> so speaking of Zero Dark Thirty. 
let's go into some some nerd facts for them. The movie was originally about the unsuccessful decade-long manhunt for Osama bin Laden. The screenplay was complete, completely rewritten after bin Laden was killed. Yeah, I mean, it came out pretty quick after this happened, so they obviously had already, this is already in development. So the four-lens night vision goggles worn by SEAL Team 6 are, in fact, authentic, and they are cutting-edge GP NVG-18, which stands for Grand or Ground Panoramic Night Vision Goggles, manufactured by L3 Warrior Systems. The extra lenses provide more peripheral vision to the operator. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, it, and like, and when you when you hear that description, yeah, totally. Because like, you see it that there's four of them. I'm like, why do they need four? Then you see that it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So they're complete field of vision and not just the two in front of them. Mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden is frequently called UBL. And this, I, I saw this too, and it always made me think about it as well. For Osama bin Laden, there is no standard sy- system for transliterating. Playing transliterating? Is that supposed to be translating? Languages that yeah, use probably. non-Latin alphabets such as Arabic or Pashto into English. Since the events of September 11th, 2001, Osama has been the most common rendering of the first name into the American press, but Usama, with a U, has been more common in the intelligence community. Very interesting. Very interesting. The man who killed bin Laden, Robert O'Neill, wrote in his autobiography, The Operator, that the real-life CIA operatives that Jessica Chastain portrays was the bravest woman he has ever met. Rooney Mara, you'll remember her from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, was originally cast as Maya, but had to drop out. Yeah, and Joel Edgerton was also originally cast in the leading role, but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. When the conflicts were resolved, he came back and played a different role. I wonder if he played, um, what's his name? What's his name? The main character? No, I wonder if he. I wonder if he was Dan, Jason Clark's character. He was definitely. I mean, they look alike. <laughs> yeah, it had to be him. Yeah. Um, at one point, Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, and Guy Pierce were considered for different roles. Hardy was actually replaced by Mark Strong. Yeah, he could have played that role, that hard edge, yelling at people, pissed off, looking all disheveled and shit. <laughs> but Mark Strong pulls it off pretty good. Theater. Theater goers. So, okay. Zero Dark Thirty is more than a movie and less than the literal truth. So, this is especially apparent in the final scene with Maya in tears. Um, so, we're going to get into basically like that. This is not necessarily completely accurate because they're it's dr- dramatized. And actually, they made him put a disclaimer at the at the first at like the beginning of the movie to make sure that everyone knows this is a this is a uh, dramatic adaptation not exactly what happened right right this is it's based and you see a lot of that i mean you see a lot of films like that where it's based on and people see based on it's like oh my god this is true it's like no it's based on a true story they could use five percent true and 95 percent fiction and still technically it's based on a true story so you gotta take that shit with a grain of salt yeah definitely all right scene stealers so seal team six I mean, got, I, I think I know who. It, I mean, I know who I'm going to pick, but we can still go through it. So we had yeah. Anson Mount as Cherry, uh, William Victor as Mister Gidry, and Robert Nepper as Lieutenant, as the Lieutenant Commander. Um, 
It's handsome Mounds. He was, yeah, I he think was, he's he was yeah. really good in this. Like he played a, I, I like he played a good. I mean, he wasn't a redneck, but like he just he played that character very, very well. Yeah, he's he's just kind of like the the brooding, kind of soft spoken badass that's picking fights with people and you know just commands this level of respect and authority every time he's like in the room on but also just on screen period even though he wasn't the team leader yeah 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 Yeah. anson mount my aunt will be very excited zero dark 30 you got jason clark and jessica chastain now these are main characters so it's kind of tough but i'm gonna throw another person on there by the way that still i think steals the scenes I think it's Mark Strong. That's a good one. I think when he's on the screen, I am like completely fixated on him and what he's doing and the way he looks. <laughs> like just every time it's like he's got some other type of like either his jacket's missing or his tie's undone or it's like something un- untucked. He literally looks like he just rolled out of bed like from a, like a bender. <laughs> you know what I mean? And but he's, but he's, but you're like, oh fuck, that guy's a badass. But I, he, but he can drink your ass under the table too. Yeah, I'm saying Mark Strong. I'm gonna say, and I'll say Jessica Chastain. I know she's the main character, so it's kind of a cop out. But I mean, you know, she is great. She got nominated for a lot of acting awards. Similar so. to what you said about Mark Strong, you could say the same thing about Jessica Chastain. Like she's in a scene, and you're, you're fixated on her you're always looking at especially like like the briefing scene with james gandolfini like she's just sitting in the background she says one thing who are you i'm the motherfucker who found this place yeah she's the only one she had now you do believe that she's like very emotionally invested in this whole thing totally which is which is a great great actress so it's good it's a good trait to have Mm -hmm. all right so (laughs) fact or fiction yeah i mean I think How it's in close are these to the real thing that we can tell. Yep. So I th- I think most of the things we've got on here are pretty much uh you know things that were not accurate, but honestly I think that from all the articles I could find there uh, there are a lot of factual accuracies in both these films. I think most people would say that yeah, you did a pretty good job. Yeah, took some liberties because again, it's Hollywood. They're right. going to they still have to make money. And they also don't know everything that happened because it's not declassified again. Exactly. And they're getting it from second and third. You know, maybe some firsthand accounts, but sure. some second and third hand accounts as well. So, yeah, who knows? Uh, so for SEAL Team 6, and yeah, we did kind of focus on like what they did wrong as opposed to what they did right. Just because I think that just made, honestly, I feel like it just made more sense to do it that way. Yeah. Uh, the female analyst is shown watching the raid. So we're SEAL Team 6 now. The female analyst is shown watching the raid from a live feed in Langley. In real life, she was at the base in Islamabad and saw the SEALs off, which is how it was depicted in Zero Dark Thirty. Right. The film, this film, tries to dramatize Obama's decision to order the hit on bin Laden and also emphasizing the opposition within his cabinet. Biden definitely opposed the raid. But it also says that Defense Secretary Robert Gates opposed the raid when, in fact, he did not. He was all for it. The movie also depicts that all the SEALs training was done in Afghanistan, and they found out who the target was the day of the raid. In reality, the majority of the training was done at a military base in North Carolina, and they found out who the target was the day before they started training, which is 
Zero Dark Thirty does like they're they're in Nevada when they find out mm-hmm. about the raid, but they are told immediately. Like Maya briefs them and says, "It's Osama bin Laden." All right. <clears throat> so in this movie depicts that bin Laden just before he shot and killed had a weapon, a gun, but during the actual fight he was shot unarmed, and they found the nearest weapon to him was actually in another room with no ammo in it. The CIA is an intelligence agency, not a law enforcement agency. CIA officials do not wear badges on their hips like the FBI does. It doesn't serve you well as an intelligence official if you wear a badge that advertises it. Yeah, right. They don't have name tags in the CIA. No, they don't. They got badges. They got (laughs) right. They do. When they're Um, Langley, not when they're right. Right. When when you have to get in somewhere, but when you're out in the field, you don't have anything on you. The movie depicts that the tail rotor on the helicopter actually broke off on impact, but during the actual event, like we already mentioned, the tail rotor broke when the SEALs detonated the helicopter after they cleared the target. So um, it, it didn't really break off the rudder. It just it, like landed in that weird angle yep. because the because the pilot was able to kind of land it in, a, in an awkward way, but a way that didn't injure anybody. Right. Prevented it from tipping over or rolling over, right? Right. Uh, the film also features Shaquille Afridi, the Pakistani doctor who helped the CIA run a phony vaccination campaign in an effort to gather the DNA of bin Laden's family members in Abbottabad. In the film, Afridi is portrayed as a kind of valiant hero who acknowledges the importance of bringing bin Laden to justice. However, that is not true. The CIA never told Afridi his mission was to find bin Laden. They couldn't trust him with the highly classified information. In the film, when the Navy SEALs arrive in Abbottabad, Abbottabad, each of them have helmet cams transmitting a live broadcast back to CIA headquarters. But that was a myth propagated by CBS News. I think either none or only one had an actual camera. I'm not even sure they had it at all. So that was not right. That was not true. And while early accounts depicted the raid as a protracted firefight between the SEALs and bin Laden's followers, it is now believed that the only shots fired by the Abbottabad residents occurred in the guest house when the SEALs killed bin Laden's Kuwaiti courier, so Ibrahim Saeed. So <clears throat> there's a lot of speculation about how, like, what the Navy SEALs were told as far as whether they are to bring him alive or assassinate him, like capture dead or alive. And this was basically, I mean, a lot of people speculate that this is essentially was an assassination mission, but no one really knows. And uh, the Obama administration resolutely vows that its orders were to capture bin Laden if possible. Despite that, a scene prior to the raid shows Admiral Bill McRaven telling the SEALs that the preference of this mission is that there be no detainees. So whether that's like accurate to what happened in real life, I don't think we'll know. But according to what Obama and the officials are saying this was a capture if possible, not a do not capture if possible. A (laughs) killer capture and not just kill. Right. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So those are some inaccuracies with SEAL Team 6. Zero Dark 30. Here are a couple. The acting CIA director, who was Michael Morell at the time, stated that torture did not play a role in the locating and killing of Bin Laden even though that's a gigantic part of the beginning of the film. Right. Morell also took issue with the filmmaker's portrayal of CIA officers, including some who were killed in the hunt from bin Laden. Yep. 
All right. So here's a uh, 31 veteran of the CIA, Jose Jose A. Rodriguez Jr. Jose A. Rodriguez Jr. wrote an article for the Washington Post on January 3rd, 2013, working with a former CIA spokesperson, Bill Harlow. And uh, he also wrote the book, Hard Measures, How Aggressive CIA Actions After 9-11 Saved American Lives. And so here are some things that he had to say in that uh, post and also the book. Um, Despite popular fiction and a fiction that often masquerades as unbiased reporting, the enhanced interrogation program was carefully monitored and conducted, and it really didn't resemble anything on the screen. Not just the waterboarding thing, but any of the type of um, interrogations at all. Right. And he went on the article. He went on in the article to say, like, to give a, de- a detainee an open fingered slap across the face, CIA officers had to receive written authorization from Washington. No one was from hung from ceilings. The filmmakers stole the dog collar scenes from the abuses committed by army personnel at Abu Ghraib in Iraq, which was which was a huge story in the news. And no such thing was ever done at the CIA black sites. Yeah. Um and he again he also mentions like the name tag thing he he mentions the um more waterboarding thing it also the film includes another female character unnamed in the movie but clearly is based on cia officer jennifer matthews who was killed in that suicide bombing we mentioned earlier in afghanistan um perhaps to build up the here's, here's what's speculated to build up the maya character the filmmakers wrongly kind of portray this woman as like overly ambitious and not that serious but really the real person was very talented and was responsible for some enormous intelligence successes including um playing a huge role in the capture of al-qaeda logistics expert abu zubeda zubeda in 2002 so and it's interesting because uh, i rewatched it today and that that character i didn't really like her that much in the movie like there was just something about her that just kind of irked me like her personality was just kind of annoying yeah but she, she, she was just and, and i and i get that's not how the person was in real life and that's just the portrayal in the film and i would say this guy lends credence to this but that was not her at all and she was a a fantastic case officer but or officer or whatever but like just the way she's depicted in the film is just kind of like like she just kind of gets under my skin a little bit. I can feel you on that. But that's not what she was really like in real life, so they screwed no. that up. No. <laughs> All right, so I, I we, we both have, as you're watching these films, uh, there are some things that pop in my head, some little inner nerd thoughts and questions. So first thing for you, what were you doing on 9-11? Uh, it's funny. So I was I was thinking about this, and this is like the equivalent to our parents, like, where were you when JFK was shot? Mm-hmm. Uh, I will never forget where I was. Like we were, well, we were in school together. Yeah, uh, I was. I had spent the night at my girlfriend's house the night before. Car- I was dating Carolyn at the time, and she actually woke me up. I was still sleeping in her bed. She was downstairs. She she came upstairs, opened the door, and said, "The World Trade Center is gone." And I said, "What?" Yeah, And then I went back, went downstairs. It was on the TV, sat there for like 10 minutes, just like not even know what to think. And then all of a sudden I was like, I got to get home. Like, I got, I don't know. I don't know what to do, but I have to get back to the house. And then I got back to the house and you were there and everybody else was there. Yeah. And I, Orf, our friend Orf, who's been on the show, he, he actually was the first one to tell me. 
and I, I at the time I didn't believe a lot of things Orf would tell me. So I I told him to f off and threw a pillow at him, and then he closed the door and then let me sleep for a little bit longer. And then <laughs> and then when someone else came in and said it, I was like, oh okay, this is what's what what's happening. <laughs> And then I got out of bed and, and then, you know, we had to drive to St. Louis, um, for a wake. Do you, do you remember? And so I, I just remember no, the entire, remember the entire day we were, we were, um, basically in the basement of this, of this funeral home watching coverage for like hours back in St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. Another side note about that. I just remember Ort Balls blaring that song. <laughs> I'm proud to be an American <laughs> yeah. the whole day. Yeah. Right. Do you remember what you were doing when you got the news of Bin Laden's death? I do not. So I, I, I don't remember necessarily what I was doing, but I do remember our friend Doug was, like, texted, texted us, Jan and I, um, to, to basically, like, Bin Laden's been killed or whatever. I was like, how do you, how do you know this already? <laughs> you know, he's tuned in, I guess, plugged into all the news outlets. He gets his ear to the ground. You know, we all get notifications for, like, Blues and Cardinal scores. He gets notifications for, um, you know, international espionage. Yeah, um, so he knew that right off the bat. <laughs> anyway, do soldiers so zero dark thirty? Going back to that, do they actually say that they smoked someone when they got a kill? Chris Pratt says that in zero dark thirty was I I smoked a bra and his wife. I mean, I get it. Like, okay, that's that's a term for that, but like, would they actually use it in the military? Yeah, I don't know. I it's it seems it seems like an unofficial. I mean, it's definitely not an official term. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, it's slang. The reason why I was kind of thinking about this is that, you know, at a certain point, I think it's probably rather than saying I killed somebody, but it's I think that saying that over and over again, I shot somebody, I killed somebody, even if you're, you know, the 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 most masculine, the who the hell cares, whatever type of people, it's got to resonate sometime, manifest somewhere in your brain that you've murdered somebody, right, or not murdered somebody, but you've killed somebody. So. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure people do use terminology like that to kind of maybe help them cope in, in a way. Maybe. maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just, I don't know. I thought, I thought of it. May, it just, you know, it's thought provoking. All right. Here's maybe a less dark one. Mark Strong, hair, yay or nay? Nay. <laughs> I forgot he had hair in this movie and he walked in. I was like, oh shit, that's Mark Strong with hair. I don't like it either, man. He's way like better. Either. Just, completely completely shaved full bald Way just better. just more badass just bicket just <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. it, it, it kind of took me out of it for a second like that was the first thing i noticed when he came in the room i'm like holy shit i wasn't even listening to what he was saying I'm like yes he's got hair what type of slush fund do you think the cia actually has like i mean it, it's detected they, they just go buy a lamborghini as a bribe yeah, he walks into his office and he's like, I need a couple hundred thousand dollars for Max. <laughs> right. Well, where are you going to get that? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to have some. I mean, I don't know how much it is, but I mean, they've got to have some kind of fund where it's just for those. I mean, an in, that, that's like an incidentals kind of yeah. fund where they got they got certain amount budgeted for like certain operations. And then they just have a contingency fund of like, we'll dip into this 20 million dollars or whatever it is, <laughs> like for whatever we need. And it's just called just, it's called miscellaneous it's called miscellaneous it's, it's petty cash petty cash right yeah um all right well we got one more question right yeah what do you what is it you, you go so for zero dark 30 
you know, she's on, she gets on the, the C-130. She's got the whole plane to herself. She's like, you must be pretty important. He's like, where do you want to go? Because the plane will take you anywhere in the world. Where would mm-hmm. you go? You know, so this, I, this... I guess I'll preface that question. Where would you go in general? Yeah, but not, then not, where not... would you go, like, if you were her, like, what would your thought process be? Like, after the ordeal that you just went through, where would you want to go? Versus, like, me or you, like, if we could go anywhere, where would we go? Right. No, and I the, the second question I'll answer in a second, I'll answer them both in a second here, but it, it does make me think of the TV show Homeland, where Carrie, you know, she solves this big mystery and captures this target. And then I'm always like, where's she going to go next year, next season? <laughs> it's, all, it's always somewhere... I don't know. So for for me personally, where would I go if if I could go anywhere? I really want to go to New Zealand slash Australia, but I don't want to ride in a fucking plane for 20 hours. Like that sounds like the worst. So maybe if it's like well, some type of get there, then I know. But I mean, maybe if it's some type of I don't want to do a commercial. How about that? I don't want to do like a private jet. So like if they're flying me somewhere on like the U.S. dime. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Like, let's take a long ass flight, you know kick my feet up not even first class like literally i got the whole cabin i mean that's a big plane you have all to yourself so it's not like you're stuck in a yeah. big cabin or anything like that you're able you get up you walk around and i mean and you have to on those long international flights anyways just to keep blood circulation but, <laughs> i know i mean hell you could you get a treadmill on that damn thing and just like you know take it you know exercise a little bit and then you know go to sleep wake up and whatever talk to the pilot fly the plane whatever so if I yeah, so if I'm flying like that in style, I'm going to pro, I'm going to go to New Zealand slash Australia. Right. Yeah. As far as going to work, I mean, I'm getting the hell out of the Middle East. That's for sure. I would probably want to maybe go somewhere. You know, it'd be a really cool place to work because of honestly the advances they're and they're having on the global stage. I'd, I'd actually say like Germany. I think Germany would be pretty cool. That would be cool. Yeah, I think I think the the normal answer would be like, oh, I'll go to Asia or whatever, but. I think I think going somewhere in Europe, Germany would be pretty neat. What what about you? Where would you go? Personally um, and professionally. <laughs> personally, I would go to Bora Bora. That's oh. always been where I want to go. Yep. I, saw, I saw a picture of that in a geography book in high school. And ever since then, I've been like, one of these, I don't know when, but I'm going to go. <laughs> Are you going to stay in one of those like lake, like the, yes. the, those cabanas that are on the water? So a buddy of mine actually did that. Yeah, yeah. The guy, well, Jeremy, the guy I used to work with at Mastercard that you know, moved here, and we're we're still friends. He took him and his wife did that on one of their anniversaries. This is one of the best trips he's ever taken in his life. But yeah, he stayed out on one of those little huts, just in the middle. Yeah, that would be great. And I want one that's like half underwater too. Like when you go down underneath the cabana, like you can see in the ocean. <laughs> no, yeah, and they had the ones with like the like the glass and the and the floor where you can see it underneath you. Oh, that'd be so creepy. I, I... I, I say mean, I want it's not like all glass. It's just like a like a a little bit of glass where you can still see down. I say I want to do it, but also I'd be terrified. I've seen Jaws three like too many times. And shallow water, man. Uh, they they can hang out in shallow water. Have you see them over there off the coast, the east coast? They're sharks, man. They're getting more adventurous. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then from a professional perspective, I'd probably go to England. Yeah, it's a good spot too. You know, I mean, language barrier isn't a isn't a barrier <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean yeah a lot of people but like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna go to france or if i'm gonna go to germany i'm gonna want to learn the language and speak the language but if i go to england then i don't that's one less hurdle yep. and you know andrew spent a couple of years there and 
that was awesome. So I think that'd be cool to do. That'd be a good spot. I've been there a couple of times. Never professionally, obviously, but it's no. a cool place to go. Plus, it's I mean, again, that's it's close to everything. That's what's nice being over there in the UK or, or you know, Western Europe. You're a you're a day a day train ride away from anything, and even closer for most places, or a couple hour flight. Yeah, like my nephew was going. They were their spring break trip was to go skiing in the Alps. Mm-hmm. When he was there. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Right. Crazy. And that and that's like a that's just a flight a flight it's maybe just a some train thing but yeah we took yeah. a train to Paris when we were there it's like going to Colorado like from here yeah like let's just go ski in Colorado yeah. except it's the Alps except it's the Alps right <laughs> yeah all right I don't think we I mean let's just recap real quick zero dark thirty is of course the winner but I just want I need to say one last time I don't agree. sleep on Seal Team Six. It's definitely worth checking out. You should see. You should see both. Like if you if you're interested in this topic, you should definitely see both. Yeah, I agree. All right, there you have it. Hope you learned something about the Osama bin Laden raid. Maybe a little bit about him um, and uh, kind of what led to a lot of these conflicts. Um, there's a lot of great literature out there about this. So definitely, um, you know, if you're even more interested, just just Google anything, and you will spend hours and days pouring through all the information that's out there it's it's super intriguing to, to I me wanna, i want to find the book about i mean it was one of the operators i can't remember his name but bissonette i think was one of yeah. the operators that wrote a book i want to find that and read it i think that would be pretty cool to like get actually like someone who was there their perspective on what happened i think that'd be interesting i totally agree all right to kind of wrap this up it's always time for our nerd outreach starting first with some thank yous well, I think a thank you for this one is, is an obvious one. And thank you uh, to all the men and women in the United States military, all the branches, everywhere. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to echo that. Couldn't say any better. Thank you for your service. And both pre, like people who have, who have been active and veterans. Acted, yeah. Active and veterans, for sure. Totally. Um, really appreciate it. We've got, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. You go. <laughs> uh, send them to, you can send them to us via email, as always, at nerdsandnewcoolpodcast at gmail.com, or you can use the hashtag nerdsandnewcoolpodcast on any of the socials. Yeah, you can also like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at nerdsandnewcoolpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at nerdsandnewco2. And if you want to listen, you can search Nerds New Cool Podcast on pretty much any of the platforms. We've actually recently expanded where you can hear us by using things like Anchor. You can also Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, a couple of new ones I didn't even know of, Breaker, or Breaker, Google, Pocket, Radio Podcast, Verbal, and even more. So yeah. we're all out there. Shout out to Anchor. Thank you, Anchor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next episode preview. So we're we're sticking with this topical. So we're taking something that's happening, whether it's like this one, it's a ten year anniversary or something, or something coming up in the current state, and then trying to, you know, do our little spin on it and be able to, you know, compare it into into our, you know, our speak, which is pop culture, movies, television, whatever. So we're gonna do an episode on with the golf movies. One of the topics that we've been thinking about and a topic that's near and dear to your heart. I'm not as much of a golfer uh, with the PGA championship come up. So a little brief history on the PGA championship and like what, you know, er, you know, some information about that tournament 
and then some of our favorite golf movies and doing our typical comparison against the two. Yep, it's going to be tough to pick, narrow that down yeah, to, golf, to two golf movies. Because it's going to be tough. There's going to be some honorable mentions for sure that we're going to have to shout out or else someone will hurt us. We might spend a lot of time talking about those honorable mentions. But yes, we will. A lot, a lot more golf movies than you think. There are, yeah, there really are. Well, until next time. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.